Ethel's Travel Tales, Accounts from an Addicted Travel Photographer. Ancient Sites, Mexico, Teotihuacan, Mexican Caribbean, Chichen Itza, Palenque, and Uxmal. Mexico City, 18 February, 1987. Each day gets more and more incredible. Yesterday must have been one of the highlights so far. My guide and I went to the pre-Columbian site of Teotihuacan. 21 years after having learned about it in primary school, I was finally here. The site is magnificent built on a gigantic scale, dominated by the Pyramid of the Sun off to the side, roughly halfway, and the Pyramid of the Moon at the end of the Avenue of the Dead. The sun is bigger, and I, of course, climbed it, but the view from the top of the Pyramid of the Moon was better. I got very similar feelings when I was in Egypt, a sense of so much life, of such great importance, that even in the ruins, you could still hear a bustling city. I felt the mysticism to some degree as well. There were ruins at the top of both pyramids. Were the holiest of places destroyed rather than the allowed to be defiled? Three others ought to be mentioned as well. First, the Temple of Quetzalmariposa had extant carvings in faint pastel colors of Quetzal himself, the mythical bird god. Again, very Egyptian feeling coming across these wonderful reliefs in a small private temple. I'm sure somewhere in a place or time that the human mind either can't or won't understand, they're still around. So many people with power and intelligence, and even more without, gave these gods such importance that they must exist somewhere. Maybe simply life and history is enough. The second place was the Temple of Jaguars. The building was covered and approached by a series of labyrinths and corridors. Once inside, there was a tomb with carvings on it and colored frescoes around the base. It was beautiful, and I got the impression that it was one of many that existed at that time. Third was the famous temple of Quetzalcoatl. It took some time to manage speaking that one. Sand weathered in a narrow passage between a tomb and a pyramid, was the facade of Quetzal's place of homage. Lots of carvings of Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent, arranged in rows, flanking on one side a magnificent stairway. Again, where else did such ostentatiousness exist? Minor diversion. In among the ruins, or the better neighborhood, hidden under locked metal doors, were huge pieces of flat, shiny, mica-like more mirror. It appears this house, with its one anteroom, had a microcolored floor. It also seems that no other had it. No one knows why, although I, along with, I suppose, everyone else who's seen it, started making up explanations. Stretching beyond the ruins and restorations are acres and acres of slightly undulated artificial landscapes, probably where the rest of the 200,000 inhabitants at the time lived. Jorge, my intelligent, charming, and resourceful guide, took me to a fiesta. 
It was a birthday party for the wife of one of the more important locals of San Martin de las Pyramides. There was lots of food, varied from Mexican restaurant fare. A bit of rice first, then consomme that was taken from the barbecued pork. It had a very different flavor to anything else I tried, and I'm not sure I liked it. Then chunks of pork, lamb, and spare ribs that you grab hold of with your tortilla, drenched generously in either red or green salsa. To me, the red was too hot. Roll up and eat. The people were wonderful. Then came the mariachi band hired by the host. I was made wonderfully welcome, my Spanish getting better and better with each rum and coke, till finally I was fluent in both speaking and understanding. Everyone talked to me, from the mariachi singer to the mayor of the town, who thanked me for helping to promote his town and country, to the women making the tortillas hidden in the back kitchens. It wasn't merely a wonderful experience. It was a rare privilege that I suspect most tourists don't see. I was told I now had three homes, one in Los Angeles, my hometown, one in London, where I now live, and one in San Martín de los Pyramides. Jorge, my guide, managed to get the mariachis to sign a model release for me. As a payment, I had to kiss every one of them goodbye on my departure. I just hope the pics are sharp as I seized the opportunity and snapped away, enhanced, I'm sure, by the rum. I had stayed so long that I had a chance to go back to the pyramids for the sound and light show. I wish they'd stop telling dumb stories with actors like Vincent Price, Burt Lancaster, Charles Bronson, and Ricardo Montalban playing Toltec gods competing to find out where the maze comes from and go into the much more interesting real history of the place. It was almost impossible to photograph, especially as I hadn't brought along the hand meter as I had no idea I would have stayed at Teotihuacan for so long. Cancun, 26th of February. After spending quite some time in the capital and environs, I got on the plane, headed due east, arriving at the Caribbean Pleasure Resort of Cancun. Here I got the distinct impression that the staff were all imported from other parts of Mexico. Not surprising, since there was nothing much here besides sea and sand before development took place. Lots of apparently native, yet still pale-skinned blondes with fair hair. But there were also the indigenous faces, the ones that look as if the huge ancient Olmec and Toltec heads were modeled after them, despite the centuries' difference. With some money and an intelligent and perceptive local travel guide, a travel agent, whom finally I seem to have had, I managed to do far more than I thought possible. I did want more time here originally, but we couldn't get accommodation. A lot of people only spend a short time wallowing in the sand, three to five days as compared to Acapulco, let's say, for two to four weeks, perhaps just to try out the place. While here, do these tourists go to the ancient Mayan site of Chichen Itza? Probably not. How sad if so. Since I was 11 years old, I wanted to go to Yucatan, and I find myself here at last having to share the archaeological sites with the few newborn tourist traps in only four getting shorter by the minute days. And I've got the clouds as well. <sighs> Cancun, 28th of February. Finally made it to Chichen Itza after all these years. It was too crazy, though. 
four hours on a bus, then four hours there, then three and a half hours in a taxi. I couldn't bear the thought of four to five hours in a slow, extremely crowded second-class bus, so for $35 I thought it was worth riding in comfort in a taxi for the 200 kilometers remaining. Suffice it to say, I was a little disappointed with Chichen Itza. With all the crowds and the incredible manicured lawn between the temples and memorials, I found it all a little too Disneylandy, i.e. welcome to Maya land. Hardly the land of the adventurous explorer, a fantasy I probably had had since primary school. Still, it was good to see some of the more interesting buildings, such as the Caracol, a.k.a. the Snail, allegedly used as an astronomical observatory, and the ball court, where the enemy's head was discreetly wrapped up and used as the ball. Well, at least I finally saw the sights. I went on to Koba via Shkare, Shelha, and Tulum. I really liked Shkare, lovely little tranquil snorkeling lagoon, separated by only some rocks from the windy sea. Even stranger is the freshwater cenote, the natural sinkhole, once used by the Mayans for ritual sacrifice. It's a terrific azure, turquoise blue, like the Caribbean Sea, but it's fresh water. It's like a cross between a cave and a natural swimming pool. People do swim in it, and the snorkeling here is supposed to be great. Shelha, a huge area of several natural pools and lagoons, would have been fine if it weren't so crowded probably due to the fact that not only was it Saturday, but the sea was so wild, snorkeling was impossible. One of the pools has huge, gorgeous fish coming to the surface for either fish food or crisps. No snorkeling or diving is allowed there, so the fish remain close to the surface visible. The road between all these wonderful destinations is almost dead straight. Smooth, fast, and incredibly boring. The Yucatan jungle, where there is a jungle, but not the cliched rainforest one, is on both sides, but there's absolutely nothing to see. The main town, Merida, a colonial gem, looked lovely, but the visit here was too short. As I got on the flight to take me back to Mexico City for the return to England, I hoped I would have another chance to return. October 1993. I had left my full-time job at the photo library, and in my keen embryonic freelancing efforts to get in touch with every possible contact, I managed to get to the Mexican Ministry of Tourists and got them interested. In exchange for attending their annual event for European journalists, Eurobolsa, I could provide them with images for their marketing material. Sounded like a good deal to me. After the first stop in a new resort on the Pacific coast, Huatulco, and the general trade fair a few days later further inland in Oaxaca, see travel mishaps too, we press were allowed to join a post-tour. Although I was reluctant to leave most of my, the group of my fellow journalists behind, I was excited about the rainforest tour visiting the Caribbean and the Mayan sites and the wildlife and the turquoise sea. I'm now on the flight. The blue rippled unobscured by cloud Gulf of Mexico is beneath me, being fed fresh fruit by the flight attendants. I'm excited about the island of Cozumel and revisiting Chichen Itza. Yucatan is approaching within the next 35 minutes. Here comes land, cloud, and turbulence.
later. On the first day we arrived at Cozumel, Chancanab Park didn't impress me. Unfortunately, the only good thing I remember about it, the snorkeling, we didn't have time to do. But later at the La Ceiba Hotel, we went for a late afternoon swim in the pool. It was overlooking the Caribbean Sea with a partly cloudy sunset. The swim was wonderful. The next day, we sailed back to the mainland to Acumal via Playa del Carmen and Tulum. Tulum wasn't scheduled, but we all made such a fuss that we managed to arrange it. The bus broke down en route, and we had to walk the last couple of kilometers in the lazy midday sun to get there. Hot, but it was worth the effort. We checked into our hotel, then headed to another Mayan site, Coba, to climb the pyramids and watch the birds. We followed the last day by going to Xi'an Khan, a beautiful biosphere with a fresh and sea mangrove swamp ecosystem. The highlight of this was the swim through the crystal clear Mayan built channels whose strong currents swept us along for nearly 600 meters. We continued by boat through the lagoon to the sea where we lunched and paddled at a dreamlike white sand beach. We then drove back to Coba at dusk, where the only things I was aware of were the rising crescent moon and my companions. We arrived at the beautiful Villas Archaeologicos club bed, where, in the jungle, we swam under the stars. I only came for a holiday and ended up with the moon and the stars. Vague paraphrase from now Voyager. Don't let us ask for the moon. We have the stars and so on. <laughs> the following morning at, at 5.15, we departed for Valladolid, from where we planned to go to Chichen Itza. On the brand new and still closed motorway, two hours before the president was due to open it, our bus caught fire. All of us being journals, we were more worried about our films and notes than our lives. The extinguisher came out in the bus, though now dead, was intact. Being close to Valladolid, we started walking to spontaneous strains of It's a Long Way to Tipperary. Finally, a pickup truck stopped and we piled into the back, laughing, joking, and taking pictures. We named ourselves Los Amigos de los Autobuses Muertos, or the Dead Bus Society. Contacting the tourist office, they arranged another vehicle for us. Our amenable truck driver was able to drop us off near our next mood of transport. We finally arrived at Chichen Itza, which was better than my last visit. I was able to get some good shots going in the opposite direction from our tour groups. We all met up for lunch and when ready to leave, <laughs> it seemed water had gotten with the petrol and the bus wouldn't go. Number three in the continuing series of dead buses However, we finally made it back to Merida and eventually back to Mexico City and, sadly, for the flight back to the UK. Chiapas and Yucatan, February 1994. An American tour organizer who had met me at the recent Eurobolsa asked if I would return to Mexico to shoot some more destinations for them. Absolutely. I was very fond of the country, especially during the month of February, miserable in England, but lovely in Central America. 
After the usual brief days in Mexico City, my flight took me down to Chiapas on the Guatemala border. At the time, there was a lull in the revolution going on with the local Zapatistas, so things were possibly temporarily quiet. I collected my bright red Volkswagen Beetle with a broken windscreen, hurts no less, and headed into the dodgy war zone. All would be well in, in case I, I drove to the conflict zone where my expensive insurance would be invalid. Terrific. Everyone had a different idea of what is a safe or unsafe area. The latest no-go route was the direct route from San Cristobal to Palenque, which would mean a major detour via Via Hermosa. There were no tourists in Tuxtla, or at least no non-Mexican ones. All the foreigners in San Cristobal were journalists. En route at the airport, I met an in independent television news team and had a long chat with a reporter I recognized from the local Channel 4 News. My first stop was the beautiful city of San Cristobal de las Casas, an authentic town and quite striking. I've never seen such a mix of colonial culture, indigenous peoples, and gorgeous, luxurious, and unique buildings. The whole place has charm that doesn't stop after the main street. The surroundings are glorious, high wooded hills and mountains. San Cristobal is something like 2,400 meters high. I was reminded of the conflict that was going on only by the lack of tourists in the streets and the presence of the military. However, these young men were probably city dwellers, likely on their first visit away from home. I watched as a local indigenous saleswoman approached the back of their truck and tried to sell them souvenirs. Later, it being Valentine's Day, I saw some of the soldiers in the telephone kiosks lining up to speak to their girlfriends long distance. Kind of hard to be intimidated by people who are so sweet. Time to move on. So the next destination was Palenque, a remarkably preserved Mayan settlement in the middle of the jungle. Normally, the place is packed with tourists, but due to the Zapatistas, I was virtually the only person there. One other couple appeared periodically, and we happily waved to each other, clearly delighted by the absence of anybody else. The remnants of the schoolgirl who had just been introduced to the ancient Mayan civilizations was thrilled. Although I had risked the direct route from San Cristobal to Palenque to get there, I didn't dare do it again to return, especially after my friendly little Volkswagen was virtually strip-searched by the Revolutionary Guard on the way, so I went to Via Hermosa. There was a park full of giant sculpted heads from the ancient Olmecs, a people even older than the Mayans. It's alleged that they were possibly even the first named society in the country. However, there was not much else to see in the city. But another fantastic Mayan site was to follow, Uxmal. I had heard about this place since that same elementary school lesson, and for some reason, its existence stuck in my head. Now I was seeing it, and it was even more magnificent than I imagined. That's saying quite something, considering how many other great scenes I had recently seen. Quite different from the other remains, it was beautiful and distinctive nevertheless. Another tick off my list, although I did appreciate it far more than a simple tick. 
Circling around the Yucatan Peninsula, I returned to the colonial city of Merida. There were some wonderful, virtually untouched classic examples of period architecture there that I couldn't resist shooting. I was glad to have the opportunity to see it again and spend a little more time. The trip was coming to an end, so I got on the short plane ride back to Mexico City. Whenever I arrive in Mexico, I'm delighted to be back here. But after a visit to the subsequent, even more wonderful places, I find Mexico City dangerous, dirty, and difficult. At least it makes it easier to return home. Two more trips followed for the Mexican Ministry of Tourism during their usual October fairs in 1994 and 1996, but didn't include visits to the ancient sites. However, they did present their own adventures, perhaps to be unveiled in future podcasts. <laughs>